Welcome to the Esquire Q&A podcast. My name is Thomas Shambler and I'm the digital director of Esquire Middle East. Now I know that some of our regular listeners must be thinking, hey, didn't you used to call this the Esquire Man at His Best podcast? And my answer would be, hey, we had listeners, that's great. Yes, so we have rebranded the podcast and given it an entirely new concept. Each week we're going to be sitting down with an expert in the field of technology, gaming, fashion lifestyle, watches, art, design culture, and so much more to find out what makes them tick, as well as to ask them relevant questions about the industry that they work in. It should be informative, but most importantly entertaining, and aim to leave you, the listeners, a little bit more clued up on what's going on in that particular world. So first up, we have a very special guest. Uh, I shall be talking to none other than Malcolm Borwick, who is one of the greatest players in the world of the sport of kings. That's polo. He's in town to play at the Royal Salute Nations Cup here in Dubai, and just before he jumped aboard his polo pony and set off, we managed to get him into our Esquire studio to ask him all sorts of interesting questions. So without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Enjoy. So kind of, I guess the easy question first, for someone who, let's say you're at a dinner party and someone doesn't know who you are, uh, how do you introduce yourself and what do you say that you do? Well, I never think you're defined by a job, but uh, yeah, I'm Malcolm Borick. I'm a professional polo player. I ex England polo captain, and I am now a brand ambassador for various uh, luxury brands around the world. One of them being Royal Salute, and I spend my time uh, promoting polo around the world. So it's not you don't usually meet. I've been to many dinner parties, and I've not met very many polo players. Would it be right to say that it's kind of, I guess, it's quite a in terms of participation, it's quite a small sport. Yeah, it's a very small sport. Inevitably, I mean, if you if you look at the number of polo players around the world, I think there's ten thousand polo players registered around the world. There may be more than that, especially in places like Argentina, where you've got a lot of sort of uh, pastime polo players. But there are ten thousand registered players in the world, so it's a it's a tiny sport, mm. but one that punches pretty much above its weight. Yeah, there's something curious about polo that seems to get people's imagination, or it's part of their subconscious that people know about the sport without really knowing why. So then, how did you get into the sport? I was very lucky when I was 11 years old or 10, just turning 11, I got asked to play a game of polo. I had no idea what the game was about, no idea what it was, but I'd ridden ponies all my life and I just got asked to go and try this game. And from that day on, it was kind of the perfection of all sports for me. I played a lot of other sports when I was young and I had a go at it and it combined everything I enjoyed from competitive team sports to the equestrian side to a very, very complex game. So I'm imagining when you're when kids play polo, they're not on the big horses. Do they have like little horses? Well, I'm just going through that process now with my children. <laughs> and, and I've got a six-year-old son who suddenly just developed this passion for the game mm. and trying to find him the right size horse. Yeah. I mean, it's like trying to find hen's teeth. Okay, yeah. um, and I've put him on a big horse and he's fallen off a big horse, which is not much fun for a parent. And I've put him on a tiny pony and he doesn't get it to move fast enough. So uh, I don't know, there's a middle ground somewhere that, I, that I've yet to find. Uh, but no, obviously we'd like the kids to learn on small, on small horses just for their own safety. Um, and it makes the ball a little easier to hit for them as well. So then have they gone into polo like genuinely wanting to do it? Is there like a parental you kind of like well maybe maybe you should try this sport? Is there kind of any sort of pressure? Do you want your do you want your kids to be kind of kind of doing this in 20 years? I, I would love my I'd love to play polo with my kids. I think mm. it's just a great fun. I think as any sportsman would look at their their professional their sport that's given them a lot in life and say you know, they'd love their son to have the same experience. I mean mm. you know Ian Poulter for example, you know and uh, Lee Westwood both were talking about this week about the pleasure of having their son carry their bag at the Masters, you know, and I know that Ian would love to have his son, you know, become a golfer. He looks at, you know, his son 
and practicing and training and you can mm. see the sort of desire that, that goes through it and I don't necessarily want my son to be a professional polo player I'd love him to be competent at polo mm. um, just because it's it's a passport to the world it's been for mm. me it's been the gift of a lifetime to be able to do this sport in 30 countries around mm. the world and meet sort of sultans you know kings queens you know it's been one of those extraordinary journeys so what do you think because it is all around the world uh, where are kind of like where are kind of the bases um I suppose the sort of key, the key hubs. I mean, Polo's played in 62 countries, I think, around the world. Um, but the, the key hubs professionally are Argentina, America, England, Spain. And then there is an Asia circuit that we mm. do in September. Mm. But those are the kind of the principal, the principal marketplaces. So I guess why kind of, kind of again, that, that's kind of outside of kind of the UK, kind of what Polo's called the sport of kings. I presume it's like UK kings? No, I think it's... Or is it kind it's, of all around? It's to do, to do with the heritage of the sport, actually. It mm. was originally a Persian game. Oh, okay. um, and it was played by the Shahs um, for two and a half thousand years. Mm. So, you know, it's it's got a lot of royal heritage that is outside of our mm. traditional royal family in, in England. Obviously, latterly, um, the sport was basically a adopted by the British Army in 1868. Okay, so that's why I think that it's kind of British. Yeah, that's that's where most people's association was. I ask people a lot of times where they believe polo to come from, and most of them say, oh, it must be English, or, you know, it's Indian. Actually, the British Army rediscovered the sport in India, mm. and then they used it as a training vehicle for the British Army officers. Um, and they, therefore, on the back of that, they exported it around the world. So it became associated with with British, and then obviously with all the explosion of media images, sort of especially with mm. Prince Philip playing mm. and then Prince Charles playing, and now the Duke of Cambridge and the Duke of Sussex playing. That's where the the royal connections have been really re-established. Mm. And I guess it's kind of a it kind of very much is a spectator sport because whenever I see kind of polo, it's generally in the pages of like hello, and everyone's having kind of drinks, and you know the queen is there, and there's cakes, and kind of. What's the what's the called when everyone comes on the field treading, and, treading in? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, you know, I, I, it's been the bane of my life if I suppose, <laughs> if I suppose you know playing these amazing events. We used to play um, the Cartier International mm. Polo Cup in England for the Coronation Cup, which was kind of the biggest the biggest trophy that we could play for in England. And there would be twenty seven thousand people at the game, <laughs> but yeah. twenty four thousand that would be sort of chatting with yeah, our, yeah, their yeah. backs turned to the field, having yeah. a nice time drinking, you know, whatever they were drinking, and. Uh, for us, it was uh, it was like, come on, guys, you want to watch us and engage with us on the yeah. field. Um, and one thing we've been trying to do a lot, actually, with Royal Salute over the last uh, 10 years is to try and uh, break that dynamic down a mm. bit. So we do a course called the Zero to Hero, which is basically an opportunity for people who've never played polo or never even seen polo to get out of the grandstand and get onto the field mm. and actually learn to play. And so I do like a micro session in an hour and a half. I'll take anybody who's never even ridden a horse and I'll have them on a horse hitting a ball, understanding the rules of the game, understanding how it's hit, how the ball is hit, and how the structure of the matches work yeah. in that period of time. And it's proved to be a brilliant uh, way of actually engaging people into the sport. Yeah, I guess because kind of when I look at it, uh, I'm confused. Like I've watched a few polo matches and I don't really know the rules. Uh, is that kind of, does that play a part in kind of people going, well, if I don't understand it, I'm not going to pay attention that, to it? Don't worry, Tom, you're, you're in good company. I've played <laughs> polo for 30 years. I still don't know all the rules. Uh, so, no, it's, um, it is a tricky sport. It is a tricky sport to follow. One, the fact that the game is on such a big field, it's on mm. a 300 by 200 meter field. So yeah. the game can often be quite a long way from the spectators. Um, and the rules are quite complicated and the game is very fast. Mm. Um, we understand what's going on and I can watch 
a polo match and I can see but the, the direction of the horses, what's happening, and I can read the game on that. Mm. But you, without maybe knowing those sort of finer intricacies of the sport, might struggle to do so. That's the whole reason we do that Zero mm. to Hero course for Royal Salute is exactly that, because we want to try and explain it to people in a way that they will then go and uh, and actually be able to enjoy watching the game. So what are the basics then? So what are like the just kind of just off at the top of the level, if I'm just going to watch a polo game, I want to know what's going on. What are just the basics? Rule, rule 101. Um, every time the ball is hit, mm. it creates a line. Okay, so imagine the ball traveling effectively straight down the middle of a motorway. It creates like a double yellow line. Okay. You have the right to go and hit that ball mm. again carrying on in the direction that you're traveling at the same speed. Mm. Okay, so you can't go and slow down or you can't go and purposely accelerate and run into somebody, but basically pretty much traveling at the same speed. The reason is, if I'm traveling at 40 miles an hour on a horse, yeah. I need to know that nobody's going to be parked yeah, nine, yeah, yeah. 90 degrees in front of me. You know, we're, mm. we're on you know, half a ton of horse or 500 kilos of horse going at 40 miles an hour. If somebody gets in the way, it's going to cause an accident. So that is the main rule. So every time the ball is hit mm. or every deflection that it gets, that creates a line of the ball. Mm. People have to look there are two ways that you can get that ball off somebody the first way is as i'm in the process of hitting the ball you can come and hook my stick so mm. what you can't do in hockey you can do in polo okay okay and the second way is to be able to basically barge someone off the ball you can have contact shoulder to shoulder at equal speeds mm. at an angle no greater than 45 degrees okay that enables me to basically push you out the way safely yeah for the safety of the player and obviously for the safety of the horse and then take the ball from you mm. that's basically the rule if you follow that that's fine every goal is just worth one point there's no two pointers or three pointers mm. and the other thing that confuses everybody is every time a goal is scored ends change mm. okay and that if you just looked at those three basic things that will probably make the game make a bit more sense to you how long does it last we play, I think here we play four periods of seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, in international matches, we play six. They're called chuckers. Mm-hmm. A chucker is a Persian word for period of time. So what's like a, what's a high scoring game? 11-10, 12-11, that kind of, you know, in a six-chucker match, that's what we'd be. Probably in a four-chucker match, it might be 8-6, mm. something like that. Okay, so then can we talk before about kind of, again, kind of the safety for you and the horse. But is, is, Holo a, is polo, a, is it a safe sport? So obviously some of these horses are very big. Um, well, I think the only way you can quantify that is if you look at the insurance market, it's mm. it's quantified as more dangerous than Formula One. Mm. Um, so no, it's not a safe <laughs> sport. It's a very dangerous sport. Yeah. We you know we have no protection. We're going flat out round corners yeah. on you know horses that we're controlling with you know very small bits in their mm. mouths, um, crashing into each other mm. and wielding a big stick. So no, it's not the safest sport in the world. Have you ever had a hairy hairy moment? We've had lots of hairy moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a great expression in England when you takes a hundred falls to make a good rider. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, you have to learn how to fall off. It's a bit like being a jockey. Okay, yeah. You know, jockeys calculate on a fall every 68 rides mm. of which probably one of them will end up in the hospital yeah um over the season mm. over the five maybe that they might have mm. um will be in similar conditions will pro- i fall off average of five or six times a year yeah and you yeah every time you hit the deck you kind of get up and go okay on, on to the next one well so with those sort of odds most people would go okay if i'm gonna get i'm gonna fall off once every two months and one of those has the potential to put me in the hospital 
Under those odds, most people would go, I'm not going to do that because I don't like pain. Why do you continue to, to do that? But because because it is the ultimate sport. Mm. It genuinely is. The, the adrenaline that goes with playing polo is like downhill skiing, mm. but with teammates. Mm. You know, it, it, it really it really encapsulates people. What attracts people to the polo is to polo as a sport is it, it is the only game that I've played that you can never have the perfect day. So mm. there's always something you can do better. Your horse can go better. You've got so many variables in the match between degradation of the field, four different horses. We use a fresh horse every time we play. Your teammates, they have the same variables going on. So you have this incredible dynamic that means mm. you finish a game and you're like, oh, I've only done that a little bit better. The other thing is in every other sport, you have that downtime where you can pick up the phone, you hit a drive in golf and you walk up the fairway, yeah, you've yeah. got time to check an email, you get distracted. Polo, and for the characters that learn to play polo, mm. the complete disconnect you have for the two hours that you're playing is, is actually what people need. Mm. And I think that's a, one of the major attractions of the sport. Mm. So then kind of how much, if we're talking about horses, kind of, uh, we talked a few jockeys and, you know, they kind of put it down to, you know, 70% of it is the horse, 30% is the jockey. Is that is it similar? In yeah, very, very similar. Very similar. I'm surprised that jockeys give it 70-30 as well, but that's what we would say. 70-30, yeah. 75-25. But then if you're swapping kind of so often, how, I guess it, it, there's no real, there's not like a, I get, most people would say kind of, okay, the rider has a bond with the horse, you work as one. I'm guessing that's not the case. It is absolutely the case. Oh, it is the case. Yeah. So every horse is trained to a basic set of instructions for polo, a bit like driving a car. You've got yeah. steering wheel, brake, and accelerator. Um, what you need to work out is which car turns oversteers or understeers. You know, okay. And there are very small differences. Some horses go better right than they go left. Some yeah. stop better than they run. Some run better than they stop. You have to just work out very quickly which uh, what horse does what well. And mm. the skill of the combination between rider and player is identifying that relationship in the 50 seconds that you might have. So I'm playing a match tomorrow yeah. for British Holiday on behalf of Royal Salute. And I will have probably 50 seconds before each chucker to get on the horse, work out what it does, mm. and then make a plan accordingly. Mm. And if it doesn't turn left, then I can't turn left. I have to make the game go the other direction. Yeah. That's part of my skill. So then I guess, do you... Do you have, like, let's say, for example, if you're based, I guess you, you play more in the UK, Is that, would it be right to say? or Yeah, I mean, I play equally around the world. I've, so then so, but then you wouldn't necessarily have kind of like, you know, Patches is my horse when I'm over here and, you know, yeah. Black Lightning is my horse over here. It's, it's always different. Yeah, I have a base of horses in Argentina and a base of horses in Europe. So mm. I will use my own horses for uh, for the tournaments in Europe and, mm. and my own horses in Argentina. Um, I'm playing in America at the moment and no, there I have to get on horses that I get given by the team mm. or I have to source horses locally. And yeah, once you get into a team environment, you try and work as best you can with what you've got. So mm. you have to ride them, train them, tune them up as best you can. But yeah, you have to be able to make those adjustments very quickly. Mm. In England, obviously, you know, that's my home base and where Royal Salute play a lot of polo. We have a lot of time to get those relationships better mm. with the horses rather than it just being... Do the best you can on what yeah. you've got. So kind of kind of interesting how you talk about them kind of almost like cars and like tuning them. Are horses in different, like the different areas you play, are there differences? Are like the horses in Argentina faster than the ones in Dubai? And, or no. is a horse basically a horse? I mean, what, what, Argentina has become basically the birthplace of the breed of polo ponies. You know, we use ex-race horses in England a lot, but in Argentina they have mixed the racehorse blood with you know, probably 5% of what they call Criollo blood, which is the, the local Argentine breed. Mm. And what that does is it tempers the uh, 
brain aspect or the mental aspect of a thoroughbred. A thoroughbred is an extremely wild, yeah. wild, very naturally athletic creature, but their brains are not necessarily as malleable mm. as a corcho or as a creole. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the mixing of that bloodline. So what's happened is the Argentina has become this birthplace of, 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 of polo ponies and actually they then export a lot of them around the world. We retrain racehorses a lot in England, mm. but you have to run a lot of numbers on them till you find the ones that's bra- whose brains are good enough to go yeah, and yeah. go on and Because obviously on. their racehorses are trained to run very quickly very, in a straight line. Very young yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, whereas in Argentina and, and when we train polo ponies, we spend a lot more time getting them ready and therefore their life expectancy and their careers are a lot longer. Mm. So then kind of play around the world. Uh, favorite place to play and why? Favorite place to play... Uh, Sticks out in my mind would be Curland Park in South Africa, in Plettenberg Bay, mm. um, partly because it was where I made my international debut. And we had a four-year period of time where we played over Christmas there, where every year we went down for a month-long season over Christmas. And it was just the perfect combination between an incredibly beautiful location, mm. great polo, mm. great friends, great time. Mm. So I would say, you know, you know, pulling on the England shirt for the first time there in front of 6,000 people playing the South Africans mm. at home, you know, mm. was a very special place for me. So that would probably be still in my mind my favourite. But then so how does Dubai kind of rank in the in the global... The global standings of kind of places to play and stuff du- like that. Du- Dubai is an incredibly lovely place to come and play polo. It's very competitive. They've got a very competitive circuit going on here now. Mm. It runs concurrently with the American season. So you can either do the American season or you can do the Dubai season. Yeah. Um, the polo here is uh, improving every year and the infrastructure and the tournament levels are getting higher and higher. Mm. I haven't played the full professional circuit here. I've played plenty of polo here at Desert Palm for Royal Salute. Mm. And it's, it's a beautiful place to come and play. I've been very generously lent some lovely horses mm. uh, by Ali Albawadi, who's always looked after us extremely well out in Desert Palm. So um, it's a place I love coming to play, mm. but not a place where I've played the top level. So it's currently raining, which people listening to this won't be able to see. Uh, can you play polo in the rain? In England, we have to play polo in the rain. It's part of the skill set that you have to have. You know, if we avoided playing polo in the rain in England, we may not play any polo at all. Um, so yeah, it's not it's not as enjoyable. Mm. Um, but we get it done. We play polo on the snow. So yeah, yeah, I've just, seen just this year we we played you know for Royal Salute in San Moritz and we've done uh, beach polo. We've done beach polo here in Dubai. Fun mm. enough. So yeah. we, we we did a whole launch of a beach polo. Uh, edition for Royal Salute last year here in Dubai. It was fantastic, great fun playing on Nikki Beach. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we'll play in whatever conditions we get given. Rain is probably our least favourite. Yeah, yeah, fair. Fair enough. Um, so kind of most people uh, have a sport as a hobby and you obviously your sport is kind of your, your career. What do you do to, to kind of chill out? Well, Tom, if you're going to invite me to go and play the Emirates, you know, <laughs> I'll come and swing a golf club with you uh, anytime you like. But no, I've, I've got three kids. Mm. And as I think most parents will tell you, when you've got three kids, your hobby time tends to go straight out the window. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a sports fanatic. So if you give me a chance to play tennis or golf or, you know, go and do something like that, I, that's how I enjoy my, mm. my downtime. So does kind of, kind of uh, having played for England, I, I guess, kind of being part of kind of a sport that is kind of very... I guess, kind of seen very highly in the UK. Does that give you access to like kind of places that normal people wouldn't necessarily get to go? Do you get kind of tickets to kind of all the best rugby games and football games, stuff like that? Does, yeah, does, it, does it transfer? We've, I've been extremely lucky, mm. I have to say. The network of people I've met through Polo, through my associations in Polo, through the brands that I've worked with um, have given me invites to things that I never thought I'd go to. Mm. Um, and that's, that's yeah, I suppose that comes living inside that network of sports-related uh, people. Um, 
And yeah, there's still quite a few things on my bucket list that I'd like to tick off. I haven't, mm. you know, done Wimbledon Centre Court final. I'd quite like to do that one day. I think that would mm. be a great, a great thing to go and do. But no, I've been very lucky. I've been to lots of lovely events. Mm. So then, kind of in 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 kind of all, all sports, really, there seems to be kind of a, an age limit to kind of the athletes. Is it the same in polo? Yeah. Yeah, it has to be physically. I mean, the truth is the, the degradation of your of your body, the impact, the high impact level that we play over a long period of time has its toll. I mean, mm. you know, unfortunately, I think it's from the age of 35, our cells are breaking down fast and they're mm. regenerating. So, mm. you know, that gives you a time frame. We have that advantage that the horses do the lion's share yeah. of the work. Um, we've made great uh, strides in keeping ourselves physically in better condition. When I started playing polo professionally, when I was 18, um, <clears throat> it was kind of this playboy sport. So it was mm-hmm. kind of deemed perfectly acceptable to go out and party till three yeah, o'clock yeah, in the morning yeah. and get up and play. Um, you know, for the good or bad, it depends on which way you look at polo because polo is a very unique sport. Polo is a pro-am sport. So yeah. it's only, there are two, only two sports in the world where you can buy the best seat in the house. Mm. Yachting, yeah. you can own the boat, the races in the America's, America's Cup, you can employ Sir Ben Ainsley yeah. and you can sit in that boat and compete in the most... Difficult yachting race in the world. Polo's yeah. the same. You want to play the Formula One circuit of polo, mm. you can buy your seat in the house. You can employ three professionals and go and do it. Yeah. So there is there is that element where you can say, okay, you know, I, I, I'm always go, I'm always going to be there. But yeah, I think yeah, we have to be realistic. There is a time frame to everything that we do. Mm. And now we have to say, okay, we're going to try and look after ourselves as long as possible. So when I started sort of the, the very serious part of my professional career, we were instrumental uh, in the Royal Salute team and bringing in physios, trainers, mm. you know, conditionists and try and get as much as we can as we can out of our career. So then what, what kind of what does a what does a kind of retired polo player like what does he do? Because obviously in football kind of kind of easy, you can go be a coach if you're any good. And But I guess I mean, do, does do traditional coaches do they, do they exist in polo? Coaching is something which is coming into polo latterly, you know, mm. because it's been this pro-am model and, you know, basically reliant on you know you self-training and self-coaching yourself um there hasn't been that secondary path in polo as, as mm-hmm. a career i've taken an alternative view i even when i was at university i was writing to brands to try and get them to sponsor polo mm-hmm. events or to sponsor polo teams and trying to find a way to mix the commercial relationship with um the sport and tying it to products or tying it to marketing budgets. Mm. And it's something we've been quite successful doing. Certainly, I know very intimately in my relationship with Royal Salute that we've managed to, after 10 years of working around the outside, we actually then went and produced a product or produced a liquid that is related directly to, to Polo. And mm. we've, we use that as a marketing vehicle around the world. So mm. that's been very successful. I've had relationships with lots of other brands where we've tried to do the same thing mm. to varying degrees of success from Maserati that, you know, they use it as a launch vehicle for yeah. for their Levant to Piaget that launched their Polo S watch. You know. So we, we've always tried to look at that commercial relationship. For me, going forward, I think, you know, working in that sphere is probably mm. more interesting than just going and, tr- you know, being a traditional polo coach or selling mm. horses afterwards. Mm. But, you know, I suppose the Winston Churchill sort of analogy that polo handicap is a passport to the world. Mm. All of those contacts and experiences that I've had over the last, you know, 25 mm. years of playing have given me the opportunity to knock on doors that a lot of people wouldn't have. Mm. So I guess kind of if you could change one thing about the sport, what would it be? I would love it to be an all pro sport. Mm-hmm. I'd love it to be that every time we turned up, I was playing for a Royal Salute branded team, yeah. playing in the Premier League with 
you know a very con- a very committed audience of people watching the game yeah. and be able to tie brands to all of the attributes that the sports has the her- the heritage the history the traditions mm-hmm. the values but look at it as an all professional athletic sport because when you go and watch a top level polo game you're watching three professional athletes and one amateur yeah and it sticks out like a sore thumb yeah yeah and people watching the game are like well, why is this guy why is that guy running back? Yeah, why is that guy's horse going backwards yeah yeah, yeah. Well, everyone else is going at 45 <laughs> miles and this guy's going at 20 now yeah. we work very hard with our clients to make them very comfortable on the field but yeah. we have this really extraordinary dynamic where our dream scenario is that the amateur scores the goal to win the game yeah. with a pass that you've made him and put it on the end of his stick yeah, 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 now yeah. if he misses it it might cost you a place in the semi-finals or final. It might cost you a bonus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your physical, so your desire is to say, leave it, let me score the goal. Yeah, but you yeah, want yeah. him to score the goal because that's what he's been training to do. And that's ultimately you're paid by him to yeah, do so. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. There are lots of sort of interesting dynamics in polo. We've just launched, actually, we've just launched in America uh, a product that is, I think, going to be really interesting. It's an all-pro version of the game played in what we call a gladiator Coliseum, so in a condensed space, so a reduced cool. size field yeah. with uh, ringed in, so it's a 100 meter by 80 meter arena, mm. um, and it's all pro. We did the first ever equestrian draft, so like a typical cool. IPL That's draft. Cool, yeah, yeah, it was really cool. I was actually hosting hosting the event. It was a script that I wrote about probably four or five years ago. So one day we're going to do this anyway. And we got it over the line in America. So we had 36 of the sort of best players in the world declared for the draft. Yep. We had team owners and they bid on the teams. And then whichever number you got in the draft, so one, two, three, four, yeah, five, yeah, six, yeah. you then got to select your player in a snake draft. So one, two, three, four, five, six, six, five, four, three, two, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So the players had no idea with whom they were going to end up playing. Yeah. And the team owners had, and they were on the clock, they had 60 seconds to select their team. Their, so it was really fun. So they were under pressure making decisions, trying to form a team in the moment yeah. with quite good prize money at stake. So it was a really interesting dynamic. So it's a product that we're going to try and roll out, um, you know, over the next couple of years. What, what, what was that called again? It's called Gladiator Polo. Gladiator Polo. Gladiator Polo. That's a good so, name. That's yeah. a good name. Good, yeah. I, good yeah. in the US, I can yeah, yeah. imagine. Yeah, yeah. Gladiator Polo. And we actually, we did the, and funny enough, we did the first ever ladies version of that as well mm. on Sunday. And that was called Amazon Polo. Okay. So if you want to look up two interesting websites and get some amazing images, if you look at Amazon Polo mm. for the ladies and Gladiator Polo US for uh, for for the men, it's mm. it was it, it's a brainchild of a, a guy I worked for in the States. Um, and I think it's got a lot of future. Mm. Perfect. Well, kind of, um, last question, another easy one. Uh, if someone wants to kind of follow you um, or follow your career or see what you're up to, how do they do that? Like everything now, I mean, now we're all on social media. You can either, you know, look me up on Instagram at Malcolm Boric or, mm. you know, or M. Boric Polo on Twitter. And obviously, if you go to the Royal Salute website, there's a lot of information about what we do and how we use Polo as a, as a vehicle to promote the products around the world. Um, but yeah, yeah, sadly, it's one of those things. If you, if you, Put it into good old Google these yeah. days. You, you can find out pretty much what you need to find about. Perfect. Well, um, I know I'm not uh, I'm not coming down tomorrow for the polo class, but I am sending two of the Esquire team um, and a videographer as well. Great. Uh, so kind of what we'll do is uh, we'll link their videos kind of below in the summary of this, um, and we can see how they got on, um, whether or not you can teach uh, these two old dogs new tricks there's plenty of plenty of life in a lot of people funny enough so i just sat down this morning to have breakfast with an international uh, doctor who's this flying doctor who flies all over the world see top level clients all over the world and i gave him his first ever polo lesson mm. a year ago tomorrow yeah he is flying back from 
the event tomorrow back to LA mm. to play his first ever tournament oh, a nice. year later having never ridden yeah. he did the polo clinic with Royal Salute last year and now he's playing his first ever tournament so we're converting them one person at a time that's what that's oh, what excellent. that's what, that's maybe, what maybe, yeah. so I'm saving your checkbook a bit of a battering <laughs> a bit of a battering not coming down to uh, the polo clinic tomorrow to the Royal Salute polo experience but uh, no it'll be fun British Polo Day is a fantastic uh, event we're very grateful for all they do they've done 62 or 63 events around the world now and it's a, it's a good show Good Perfect. Well, thank you for coming in um, on this wet Dubai uh, kind of rainy day. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll link kind of all the details below. Thank you very much. No, Tom, thanks. So that has been another Esquire Q&A podcast. I do very much hope that you enjoyed it and learned a little bit about Malcolm. Now, do stay tuned to our podcast uh, for next week, because while I don't want to spoil it, I can tell you that there's going to be not one, but two very special guests who are at the cusp of the region's culinary scene. We look forward to welcoming you back next week.